The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org. Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce for Tomorrow. This is Neil Syme from IBM and the oil and gas team. With me as my co-host and buddy is Jason. Welcome, Jason. Hello, Neil. It's much better having someone younger, better looking, and a bit more energetic hosting the podcast this week, I think. Well, you're just a co-host. I was going to say sidekick or who knows, just a, even a sick. I'm Batman, you're Robin in this one, I'm afraid, man. I think so. <laughs> Anyway, today's beautiful podcast, we're so lucky to have three women that I will let them introduce themselves. Hold on, Neil, is this not the women in black? Are we calling them the women in black? This is the women in black. This is the secret (laughs) squirrel people. This is going to be a superhero show. By the way, have you washed your hands? Because that's pretty I have. You have washed your hands. I've washed my hands. That's it, though. As I say, it's too early in the morning. I'll have a shower later. <laughs> you need to think about that one. Yeah, all right. In this podcast, we have three microbiologists or within the microbiologist's realm and experience. First, I'd like to introduce both Leslie, Leah, and Stacy. So welcome. Leslie, do you want to go first and introduce yourself? Sure. I mean, just pick the oldest person, whatever, Neil. That's okay. <laughs> oh, come no, on. We, we, when we said seniority, <laughs> Leslie, we didn't really mean age. We just meant sort of level of medicine. Gotcha. I thought I saw an eye roll. Wisdom. Bad. Yes. Full <laughs> of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm actually not a microbiologist. My degree is in chemistry, but most of my career has been spent in the biological realm for some tangential reason, mostly in quality assurance or most recently in the last 10 years or so in the world of forensics. But but health and safety applies to pretty much everything. Welcome, welcome, Leslie. And then Leah, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Hello there, everybody. Thank you for having us on the show. My background is molecular microbiology, and I've spent the last 20 years working in everything from a clinical laboratory doing cross-matching for kidney and pancreas transplants to the last 20 years and more biodefense realm where I've got experience working with a lot of training for biothreat agents and health and safety, understanding infectious diseases and quality assurance as well. Thank you, Leah. And I'll let you in a secret here, Jason. Neely and Leslie are super good friends. So we're probably going to cut you out the next day off the whole thing, right? We're just going to have a chat. Seriously, I now can see how this is working. You're dead weight, man. I'm an outsider. (laughs) But we also have someone else who I'm now going to be super good friends with after having spoken with her. She's hilarious. Is Stacey. Welcome, Stacey. Well, hello, oil and gas industry. It's nice to be here. I'm a microbiologist and an immunologist, and my background is in high containment laboratories, so I got to wear the fun space suit there for a little while. Oh, wow. Cool. And I currently do biosafety and biosecurity capacity building, 
in other parts of the world on multiple different projects. And I am our company's corporate health and safety manager. So health and safety is my primary capacity here. And an overall great gal. Overall great gal. For sure. It's going to be a love in here today. I, I, I had a big start off beware on this one with Stacey. The other two, Leah, with Leslie, I'm okay with. Stacey <laughs> or Trixie, whatever her name is. That's right. We are doing this prep. This is going to be he's the problem child, Neil. We need <laughs> to control this one. You've got the mute button when she goes overboard, right? I've always done it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's actually start there with you, Stacey. You talked about capacity management and all that type of stuff. What does that actually mean? And how does it apply to the world? Okay, so biosafety and biosecurity capacity building would be helping partner nations and partners and team members work safely with their bacteria, viruses, fungi that they work with on a regular basis, and then keeping those pathogens safe within the facility. That's what biosecurity is. So they don't fall into the hands of, we'll say, bad actors or nefarious individuals to be used against other populations of people. So is that how you pronounce that by the way? Fungi? I always thought it was fungi, but there we go. The fungi, that's Jason is a fungi. <laughs> fungi. All right. So we have to distinguish a so fungi. <laughs> oh God, we're going to have to get back on topic. Right. Health and safety. Very good. I think one of the things we were looking to go is look, COVID-19 and those types of things are out there at the moment. It's increasing. I was watching Stephen Colbert the other night and he's not around because he's got COVID again, I think for the third time. And I'm like, holy moly, it's back up again. And sure enough, the stats are back up. So what are we seeing there in the world? What are the trends we're seeing out there in terms of the number of diseases out there, the types, all that type of stuff? So maybe Leah, do you want to quickly give us a quick rundown of what you've seen in some of the trends. Certainly, Stacy stays up on this a little bit more than I do, but we're coming into, we've got a resurgence of COVID for sure. And we are also coming into flu season. So flu season is going to kick off and we're going to see cases increase with that anytime you hit in the fall. That's going to be our kind of routine background of illnesses floating around. What are the other ones out there? There was like an Ebola, there was... I'm thinking there are some that you feel like are made up, some that are really real and in our thing. When I say made up, it feels like there's like, oh my God, and there's like a campaign and then nothing seems to happen versus those that actually really hit us. What are the ones we've got to worry about? I would say respiratory illnesses for certain because they spread so easily among populations of people in confined areas. And that could be your cubicle farm here in an office like what we are working in. But of greater concern would be your oil rig populations where you have people that are cramped together. And that's where respiratory hygiene, hand hygiene comes into play. Decontaminating common work areas like handrails, doorknobs, countertops, and doing that before you touch your hands to your face. And how about do we see that? Because I just don't think that in the oil rigs and some of those places, they follow as much of, say, the masking and so forth. What would your advice be to some of the companies when they see some of these things coming around? I mean, is that the type of big thing they should be focusing on in terms of cleanliness plus the masking? Is there other things they should be looking at? What are the things they should be thinking about as they start to build their own health and safety protocols? I think there's some standard things that any company should do, but particularly in a confined space. Certainly, Stacey was referring to the passage, the transmission of illness based on something that you touch, that's called fomite transmission. And that is a significant component of spreading any kind of illness. When we say decon, if you've been cleaned something such that you're removing the organism there, 
that is always something that's helpful. I don't know how feasible that is on an oil rig. I mean, I'm sure, especially when you're talking about having to use handles every time you go somewhere, are these guys, are workers wearing, say, work gloves? Are they using their hands? Are they touching things all the time? So things like avoiding cleaning things as much as you can, avoiding touching your hands and to your face, your eyes, your nose, which people do. Those are habits that people don't even realize that they have. Washing your hands a lot, at least at a bare minimum, wash your hands before you eat goes a long way and wash them for enough time that you kill things. Two rounds of row, row, row your boat or something like that. <laughs> Brilliant. I'll use that myself. I can sing that really fast though. That's the, or the <laughs> happy birthday <laughs> song. You know. Yes. Pick a favorite song that lasts, what, 30 seconds? 20 seconds. Say. 20 to 30 seconds, yeah. <laughs> the problem with the mask debate was it became so politicized. And what this comes down to is public health. I mean, we need to keep the politics where they belong and focus on public health. And with masking, if you're someone that feels like, and Jason, we talked of this earlier, in some cultural situations, you are required to come to work at all costs if you're oozing and sneezing and things of that nature, the potentially contagious illness, if that means wearing some sort of face covering where you can keep your projectile droplets to yourself and not share them with your coworkers, and that will get the job done, then I would say go for it. It's not going to 100% stop transmission of disease, but it certainly will help. And if you're going to come to work sick, it's certainly better than nothing. But hand hygiene, very important. No, no, I was just going to say, some of this is motherhood and apple pie. I don't know if you guys, is that an American phrase? Can I use that one? It is. Apple pie is American, Jason. Come it is. That's well, right. it's not Nothing American. Than apple you clearly got it from the UK, but let's go from there. I grew up, and the first thing I remember is wash your hands, etc. And some of this thing seems like common sense. And I get it. So it's probably more on the individual versus the company. But one of the things I'm interested in then saying that, we were talking, Leslie, Leah, Stacey, before this, of companies now going for a biological executive or leader. Was that the right title we talked about? And what they would have to install in their, you know, if you're a Walmart or you're an IBM mm-hmm. or you're a, there is a role now of biological leader, correct? I guess it's sure. kind of a, what would they Or industrial hygiene. You or know, industrial some, hygiene, sorry. Yeah. Yes, industrial hygienist. And that works into ergonomics as well, because how we sit in our chairs is important or we're standing on our desks is important. But aside from that, COVID really opened the world to biological safety, which is what Leah and I have been living and breathing for a long time. And maybe it sometimes felt unappreciated for what we did. And suddenly we're very important people because it does matter. I mean, we will have people come to work and they'll say, but it's just a cold. Well, your cold can knock out your immunocompromised coworker whom you didn't maybe know that was immunocompromised, but just having a broader awareness of public health and how important it is. Business has to keep going, though. The economy and the businesses that run it are very important. How can we stay in business, keep working, yet keep ourselves safe and keep our coworkers And how safe? much does it then go from there then? How much is this is common sense? Because a lot of this <sighs> that we've talked about, I mean, there's nothing that's crazy. here. I mean, you are very, very smart, you women in black, you. A lot of the things we just talked about the last 10, 15 minutes is very common sense to the individual, isn't it? You say that, Jason, but how important is health and safety to the energy industry? It's hugely yeah, massive. important. It's number right? one. It's the first number that everyone reports every year, how many Goal people zero. are killed. It's yeah. plastered on all the walls in every office you go into and, and assets that energy companies have. 
And it's all because they've got to keep right on top of it. So women in black, what would be the things that your advice would be to companies that have to provide that type of level of advice to some of them, even though it feels a bit like common sense, so why have a policy on it? But they've got policies on everything else around it. What would your advice be to try and get them to make sure they are going to limit their exposure to some of these, say, biological issues they may have in the future? Well, that's not an easy question to answer. It's a very simple concept, but how do you convey the importance of that message to your employees? That's the really hard part because even still, people really started listening during the pandemic. Yeah. But as soon as it started to wane, people were like, whatever, that's fine. I don't care anymore. (laughs) At our company, we implemented transition from more of a COVID policy to a workplace wellness policy, which Stacey was touching on. We're really trying to change the culture at our company to being thoughtful and mindful of when you might have some contagious illness and not exposing other people to it. I just don't know that there's an easy answer for how to present that message. But I do think there's active, if you have a policy in place and you create one and a plan, there are certain things that you can specifically do that will reduce those chances of of passage. And I think that's what you've nailed on the head. It's not like the message has changed is what you're saying. The message has relatively been consistent all the way. It's the implementation of that and the training and getting people to follow it. that's actually kind of ramped up a little bit in recent years because of the COVID epidemic. Then, of course, to your point. You can have lunch and learns. You can have express your open door policy for whoever that individual is who's managing that effort. If it's a corporate notion, you have to have site-specific people who are go-tos for this information. Mm -hmm. But just having some sort of open-door policy where your health and safety is important to me, and I don't mean hand safety by wearing the right work gloves for the job, but also your biological health and coming to work in the best possible environment that you can. The issue that we saw with COVID that we hadn't seen in the past was it was being labeled as a workplace exposure, and that makes it workers' compensation and the company's responsibility. And we hadn't really seen that before. You go to work and your neighbor in the cubicle has bronchitis, you get bronchitis, your neighbor gets bronchitis, everyone has bronchitis, but it was never your oil and gas company's problem that you got bronchitis. And here in Virginia, we had to register with Virginia Dolly, Department of Labor and Industry, when we had cases in the workplace. And if we had more than a certain number of cases in a certain amount of time, the risk would be that we would get investigated by OSHA. More than just a, a, you know something falling from a shelf and landing on someone's head, this is a respiratory illness. We've not seen that before with other illnesses. Yeah, does that leave them open to being, I suppose, they are now liable for these types of, if these types of outbreaks happen, then they're definitely liable. I look to, I think, the most obvious cases you've kind of referred to there is what happens when these guys are on an oil rig, but in isolation, what happens, what do they do? So how, what happens if there's that emergency outbreak? What are the types of protocols they should take? Have you seen anything? Have you given, because I know you guys kind of advise some of the government organizations and industries and stuff. Have you seen them pass down regulations or anything like that to try and give them guidance on that? Or is it still not there yet? It's still in the ballpark of the companies and the individuals to drive this. I would say that that's largely true, don't you think, Stacey? Yeah, I would. There are resources for sure out there, and CDC is typically the go-to resource for that. 
but I think it's largely up to the companies, depending on what environment they work in, to determine what practices need to be implemented to address it. And on oil rigs, for example, we're talking COVID and influenza and colds, all very relevant. But there's also gastrointestinal illnesses like norovirus or something like that. So if you are working on an oil rig, for example, and you have cooks there that provide the food to everybody, well, if that person gets sick, is there an option for separation? Is Does testing happen? Because that person can pass it to somebody else and just the Short preparation of, of their food. So these practices of trying to separate people as much as possible having availability of some of the testing. I don't know if doctors are present on the rigs or not, but cleaning things, hand-washing, wearing masks, those kind of things are your first line of defense for reducing it. It's not going to prevent it, but it will reduce it. Yeah. And actually, Jason, I've got a little bit of insight here from what happened during the COVID perspective. So I was working with a chemicals plant and they were looking for ways to be able to minimize people being in the same proximity. Because at the time it was like they needed to be six feet apart all the stuff that we remember, thank God it's not quite as prominent now in terms of we're still, we're able to go at the cinema nowadays, but it was a big deal. So they had some digital solutions. The digital solutions they looked into were a few things. One was they'd start scanning people on the way in and have heat sensors. So as they started entering the plant, you could see their face. And if their face was flushed, as it were, in heat, then they would be stopped and they would be asked to then go and take a monitor and a test and all that type of stuff. The next thing they looked at was actually having a buzzer, something that was actually a wearable, whereby if they got then within the proximity of a person, then actually it started to buzz and so started to <laughs> started to think, I kid you not, this is what they were doing. That's actually what they looked at. This to is implement. why Stacey hasn't got to work for the last four years, Neil. <laughs> Red face because of I don't know what, and then sort of buzzers all the time. She went, I'll just stay at home. Is that right? Stacey? I would say Shock collars and trap doors. Those would be my two favorite <laughs> I think things. you do magnets and make sure they're oriented appropriately. Where you get too close to somebody, it's going to automatically <laughs> repel from you. We were going down the wrong route. You guys have got much better ideas than we had. But there's definitely digital solutions for it. But actually, to be honest, it comes back to what you guys just kind of suggested, which was they did not implement that buzzer or wearable or shock collar, which, ah, damn it, we should have, we definitely should have went for shock collar, but was that, you know what, we're just going to manage this by processes. We're going to manage this and trying to get people to in point and arrows and where people need to walk and not walk and things like that. And it was much more that was the implementation strategy rather than technology. Of course, there was still some good stuff around the heat sensors. I know some of that has been implemented in some of the other areas, but it's something to consider because it's that merge between the digital movement and what you can do about that, especially with recognition and the power of cameras and being able to use some AI to determine some of that, and then the interpretation of that into some of the health and safety stuff. Well, and I hope you all invested in plexiglass because that industry really took off and putting plexiglass up everywhere. I mean, think about assembly plants, and there was one very famous case where they had hundreds of employees who fell ill. I won't name the individual, but or the place, but they were putting up plexiglass between the people that were in this line having to do the job that they had to do and trying to put up plexiglass. So just the very, you know, like have your own little bubble and still try to do your job. To take it up to a 50,000 foot level, corporately or even at a facility level, 
I think all of this is really pointing to the fact that you have to look at what your risks are. This is a common quality practice. What are your risks? And risk management is figuring out how do I mitigate each one, prioritizing them, mitigating them to the degree you can so that things that were a highest risk have now been mitigated, hopefully to a low risk or at least a medium risk. And that could be very different from site to site, whether it's an oil rig, whether it's a finery, whether it's an office space. So you have to look at it at that level. And I think we've touched on that in a couple of different ways. One of the questions I was going to have then, if, so COVID's come and gone and we're running away Not from gone. it. Well, actually, hear me out a bit. We're running away from it fast. Here's Jason's view, because we didn't like, the whole scenario was just awful, wasn't it? We didn't think, we thought we were okay. The government told us we were okay. No, we weren't. Everyone gets locked down. I didn't see my daughter for a year. We were all probably ill for a matter of time. We had to work from home, so we missed people's connect. And it feels like 2023 now, we're running away thinking, that's fine, that's done. I kind of worry now that says, that's great because we don't have the plexiglass now and we've got them down and the things on the floor and the shops that said, stand six feet away or I'll hit you with my handbag, et cetera, or reminder, or these (laughs) damn masks that I used to hate because I used to steam up my spectacles, et cetera. We kind of run away thinking, yeah, we're there now. But I also worry that have we really learned enough Because although we're running away quickly from, thank goodness, are we ready for the next one? Because I I guess, Stacey, Leslie, the other thing we were talking about pre-show was, hey, this has happened and it's going to happen again. So how do we smartly this time not get into, oh, panic, let's everyone panic, what do we do? I'd hope at least companies and the government is more aligned now to if something does happen, it's probably when, not if, but how do we control it more where COVID almost felt like we're out of control, do you think? Well, it was the unknown, yeah. And we had a lot of discrepancies between our state public health agencies and our oh, federal yeah. public health agency. I'm sure they have a lot of lessons learned. Mm-hmm. But I think what we came to find out is we can read their recommendations, their guidelines, even laws in some cases, laws that were passed. But really the onus is down to the company itself and how you as the company are going to have to mitigate your own risks. And like Leslie said, you take each one of them. How can we stay in business and keep our employees safe? And those are intertwined. You're not going to have a business if you're not keeping your employees safe. They had the OSHA mindset for, I'm assuming oil and gas is still. So the OSHA mindset, like keeping high energy equipment and machinery and electrical hazards and all of that stuff. Well, now you got to consider biological wellness as well. I think that's the new reality. It wasn't necessarily, you know, it's all slips, trips and falls related kind of thing. And now that's the new reality. Yeah. And it's not as respiratory illnesses are new for us, but it just became more of an awareness and stressing hand hygiene and respiratory hygiene, sneeze and cough into your elbow, not into your hands. They're then going to use the doorknob, open the door, use the handrails, things of that nature. Washing your hands, people, this isn't That's right. Yeah, I agree. But that's the thing. So sometimes I think, because I think you started, Stacey, with the fact that it's on the companies, which I do believe is true. I also do believe there is an onus on governments to try and provide a bit more around that because of the fact that it really is just something that because it's we're not prepared, so it needs a countrywide or almost global reaction if these outbreaks happen again. I don't know if you think if you're seeing in any uh, the governments be more prepared or the CDC, do we feel they are more prepared or anything like that? They're probably more detailed. 
Yeah, I would say that everyone learned a few things with this outbreak. I mean, it, there were a lot of lessons learned, I'm sure. But we can't control what our state government and our federal government or federal public health agency is going to do. So we, as the employees of a company, the managers of a company, can try to do our best to seek out that knowledge. And that's where I was saying if you had whoever your responsible individual is for this type of health and safety, if it's an industrial hygienist, maybe in your region or your division or what it's called, seek out that information and look at it through the lens of biology, not just ergonomics and other things that industrial hygienists do. Look at the lens of biology. And if you don't have that person, then hire a consultant. Wow. I just returned from an American Biological Safety Association meeting in beautiful Omaha, Nebraska. There are a lot of self-start biological safety consultants out there. They'd love to have your business to help you help your employees stay safer too. So that's a good question. So how has your industry changed in that then? Has it just evolved to be much larger or has it changed in any way? It sounds like there's been some pop-ups. In biological safety, I would offer that there's been some pop-ups because there's always been a need and biological safety professionals were, I think, put on the back burner for a while. But How dare they? I know, right? We're fun. <laughs> fun people. You want us. You are, 100%. <laughs> that's fun. So having this new... This bigger industry now as a resource is very important for everyone, for the Walmarts, for the Targets, all of these businesses that stayed open, that had to stay open. And then those businesses that wanted to stay open, obviously your industry, we can't shut down an entire oil and gas industry because of respiratory illnesses. So let's see what we can do to make it work. And so Leslie, have you seen any kind of differences in the work that you guys are doing from previously or has it all remained the same since the COVID outbreak and are you seeing it evolve and different requests come through in your management role? So the answer is yes and no. How about that? In some areas, we Sounds were like already doing sorts of, <laughs> do what? <laughs> I said, it sounds like a consultant saying that. Maybe yeah, is the welcome. answer. You're welcome. <laughs> In some aspects, we were doing already in the forensic industry, for instance, what we are concerned about in forensic DNA, contaminating our samples or our cross-contaminating between cases. So already we're doing those protections, the same ones or similar ones that would protect from transmitting a respiratory virus, for instance, would keep contamination out of our laboratories. So we're already practicing that just because of that industry. But from a corporate management standpoint, the culture has definitely changed. I don't think we're alone in that. I think we as individuals have learned a lot. And it goes back to whatever either you or Jason was talking about. Isn't this common sense? Well, yeah, a lot of it is, but we weren't really doing it. I mean, you would see sure. people sneeze into their hand and grab the doorknob, or you would see people not really being careful if they were not feeling well, they would say, nah, we'll chalk it up to allergies, or it's just a cold or, or whatever, and then come to work anyway. And I kid you not, we used to have people come and they had sick children. And, oh, I can't stay home with them. I've got work to do. I'm going to bring my sick child to work. Guess what? Now that doesn't happen. So that's a lesson learned. And yes, it's common sense, but it kind of took COVID for us to go, holy crap, that really was a dumb thing. Totally. Totally. So what do you see happening? Because then you've not got a crystal ball. Well, they might have. They might do. Well, they've probably got access to information that we do not. But I believe it's something that there might be something. What do you see as being the threat going forward? Are we neutralizing it through this slightly more knowledgeable approach we take? Or you see it's just another matter of time before it's back to lockdown, back to whatever. Where's your head at? Again, I mean, I hope we learn some things. 
with regards to lockdown because we became much more aware of mental health as a result of the isolation of our children from their classmates in school, from those co-workers, unlike me, who uh, need to be around other co-workers. Stay living in my basement, right, for the last four years, <laughs> three years. But mental health, you can see the point of what isolation was supposed to have done. And I think we didn't. One of the lessons learned from that experience was mental health suffered. Hmm. The mental health of many of our children and, and adults as well suffered during that. So hopefully we learned that maybe isolation isn't the best way route forward. But I really think with our world travel, the exotic pet trade, <laughs> all of these things, materials being moved on ships and planes between countries, that it really is a matter of time before something else happens. We're encroaching on the environment. We think about the biosafe, let me back up for a minute, but we think of it as a, it's called One Health, the One Health concept. So the health of the environment, the health of animals, and the health of people matter, and they all play together in keeping the world safe. And so as we encroach on environments and other species are forced to move out or other species are forced to move in, we are going to have more direct connection with diseases that maybe we didn't know were out there. I failed to think this was a newly identified coronavirus, but how new was the virus itself is really the question. People that study coronaviruses know the answer. And if there's anyone listening to this podcast, they're going to say, Stacey doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> Boy, this is good stuff, Stacey. There's bound to be something else from all of the instances that I've just mentioned. Travel. We love to travel. You should travel. See oh, the world. Yeah. But you're going to bring back that nasty little... That's right. Go to Scotland, is what you're saying. Luckily, it's the cleanest place on earth, so there's no need to worry about that. You're, you're good <laughs> as right. gold over there. That's right. And the whiskey is amazing. And the whiskey is, is the water of life, so it cleanses the innards. Terrible people, though, but it's a great place. <laughs> <laughs> right. Beautiful scenery. Shame about the people. I do hear whiskey has antiseptic properties, so there's something to be said. That was my always, when I went through that heat sensor that Neil talked about, my cheeks were red every morning, Leslie. That was exactly other my excuse. For everywhere. other reasons. It wasn't a fever from an infectious yeah, illness. Absolutely. It was the morning toddy. <laughs> All right. Well, that's been super interesting. I don't know if, Jason, have you got any last thoughts or questions to ask the gals? Should I take my flu jab, women? Yes. Why? Yes. Because I've said no to it, but should I? Every year? Oh, yeah. I just actually a few weeks ago got the new bivalent vaccine. I'm pro-vaccine. Vaccines are a victim of their own success. I agree. You said just like that. We have forgotten in this country what diphtheria looks like. Um, point. Great point. We've forgotten in this country what polio looks like, although there are cases of polio elsewhere. I think vaccines are extremely important. And I can't remember the last time I've actually had the flu. I get the flu vaccine every year. I've never gotten sick from the flu vaccine. I just think it's a preventative measure that I am in favor of. Okay, got it. Do it. Go Even do it. being a young Scotsman like me and I was still... going to say at your age especially, sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Leslie, you're definitely coming back. It's definitely coming back. I told you I never exactly. wanted to do this podcast. <laughs> I knew it was just, yes, we're going to pick on you, Jace. <laughs> right. Hey, that was fantastic, guys. Thanks so much for your time. Super interesting and just amazing to hear about all the different, as I say, I can't stress enough 
how important it is to our industry within the energy industry. So I don't think we've had the health and safety angle, so which is on our podcast until now. So and thank you so you much for the insight. Neil did start the conversation by saying he hasn't had a shower today, but he's washed his hands. <laughs> I did wash my hands. Wash my hands. Thank you for bringing that up again. I would say as parting words, take care of yourself and take care of someone else if you have time. Make the time to do so because we're all a community. We really are all in this together. And it takes all of us. It's going to take all of us. So 100%. Take great care. Advice. Great advice. Not only from a health and safety perspective. That's great and Stacey, advice. Stacey, when do we all. see you back in the office again? It's been four years since we've seen you. So when do you <laughs> so see you? Great. This is me knocking on your door, Jason. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Coming up behind you right now. Superb. All right. That's a wrap, Jason. Nice one. That was very good. Thanks so much. It was super interesting to have you guys on. So I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And we'll see you again next week. Indeed. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. (laughs) 